Channing, and I'm Elise, and this is the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We focus on feminist interpretation of scriptures and follow the LDS Come Follow Me manual as a guide for study. We understand scriptures can be a tricky endeavor for readers, but we also believe sacred texts contain compelling examples of loving and liberating relationships with the divine, others, and ourselves. We hope you'll join us in exploring the problems and promises of sacred texts with imagination, critique, and celebration to reveal what we feel is the loving and liberating heart of scripture. While Mormonism, with its iconic floral foyer couches, is our background, we follow our faith and our God on the winding path of spirituality over institution and connection over condemnation. We are fellow wanderers, weavers, and doubters. If you found yourself feeling a little too faithful for some and not enough for others, welcome. We've saved you a seat on the soft chairs. This podcast is funded by our listeners' generous donations. If you'd like to support our work, connect with us on Patreon or on our website at www.thefaithfulfeminist.com. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. For this week's episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Of course, we'll be covering the text, but but this is going to be our last episode of the year, so it's going to be a little bit different. First, we're going to cover the remaining books in the Hebrew Bible, which includes the following. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi for the dates November 28th through December 31st. But at the end of this episode, we're really excited to share some of our listeners' favorites episodes from this year and also just kind of go through the Hebrew Bible together and talk about um, what the highlights and enjoyable things and the things that have surprised both Elise and I through this year as we've worked through the Hebrew Bible. So we are so, so happy that you're here to join us. And just in case you've forgotten or you're new to the podcast, every year we take the month of December off to spend the holidays resting and preparing for next year's content. We'll be in the New Testament, which is so exciting. But for now, we are going to just quickly go through and summarize the remaining six books of the Hebrew Bible. Remember, these are the last six books of the section of the Hebrew Bible known as the Nevi'im, or the writings of the minor prophets. So first, we'll start with the book of Nahum. Nahum is a total of three chapters, and in this book, the writings cover the second coming broadly, and then focuses in really specifically on the destruction of Nineveh. The next book that we see and that we want to just briefly summarize is the book of Habakkuk. And this is, a again, a, a short book. It's three chapters, and we have this kind of dialogue between God and Habakkuk. And these are not prophecies to others, but rather this, this conversation or dialogue. And we see Habakkuk as both a prophet and a poet. And these chapters really focus on honesty and authenticity in prayer. And one of the verses that really stuck out to me comes from chapter one, where Habakkuk is crying out to God and says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. So again, we have this kind of struggle between Habakkuk and God, where Habakkuk is saying like, there's so much going on and I feel like you are not listening to how dangerous and violent things are getting right now, God. And from there, we move into the book of Zephaniah, which again is another really short one. This three-chapter book focuses again on the second coming with a lot of apocalyptic rhetoric. This book contains prophecies about both the destruction of Judah and the destruction of their enemies, which includes a long list of the Philistines, Moabites, Ammonites, and the Assyrians. This book also promises the restoration of Jerusalem. For example, in chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, quote, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, he will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing, end quote. And this is such a beautiful... I. We're going to talk a little bit about a second coming and apocalyptic rhetoric in just a minute, but I do think that there's something really especially beautiful to be said about the restoration parts of um, apocalyptic text. I think they're just like really hopeful, really utopian, and really beautifully written. 
From there, we move on to the book of Haggai, which is only two chapters. And in the first chapter, it focuses on the importance of temples and also building temples. And then chapter two offers a critique of the state of righteousness of the Israelites under the rule of King Darius. Yeah, so that book happens contemporarily with the book of Daniel, if the book of Daniel were to have been written. Mm, okay. <laughs> when, when it claims to have been written. <laughs> From there, we move to the book of Zechariah. This is the longest book in this section with 14 chapters. And this book really focuses on calling Judah to repentance. The writer also speaks of the coming of the Messiah. And there's a heavy critique of religious hypocrisy and lack of compassion in the communities. Again, as we kind of see this like continuing thread of prophecies um, about what's going to happen to Israel, we see the scattering and regathering of Israel. And then like a huge portion of this book is um, apocalyptic and uh, covers the second coming. My favorite, favorite verse though from this book is in chapter seven, verses nine through 10. It reads, quote, thus speaketh the Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassions to every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. End quote. I just love that verse. It's like such, I was really happy to come across that in one of the last books of the Hebrew Bible. It's just so like, it's so succinct and really kind of, I feel like sums up like the, the message of the, of the book in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the final book for the year is the book of Malachi, which is four chapters. And it talks about how um, religious leaders are reproved or like um, critiqued for their willingness to offer unfit sacrifices and then for not keeping their covenants. This is a theme that we've seen throughout the last couple of weeks. And some topics that have the, um, that are worth a kind of honorary mention would be things like tithing, the second coming, and of course, hypocrisy. And also just a word, there's a bit of, we want to bring awareness to some ableism that we see in chapter one. So proceed with caution, especially with the narratives about bodies that are pure and worthy. So that would be a nice chapter to kind of um, offer a critique for by looking at the system of ableism. So like we had mentioned earlier, there's a pretty distinct thread that moves throughout each of these books, and that is the topic of the second coming and second coming prophecies. Almost every book in the Nevi'im or the section of the writing of the minor prophets mentions the second coming, and the message is both terrifying and hopeful. It's terrifying because of the apocalyptic nature and hopeful because of the establishment of utopian Zion. And so we've used the, we've used a word throughout this episode, apocalyptic, and some of us may not know what that word means. So the Britannica Encyclopedia defines apocalyptic as apocalyptic literature is a literary genre that foretells supernaturally inspired cataclysmic events that will transpire at the end of the world. So basically, it's just like foretelling the end of the world. So why should we care about the end of the world or not even necessarily about the end of the world, but about the way we talk about the end of the world in this very kind of like doomsday, everything will be burnt and lost type of way. And one of our favorite feminist theologians, Rosemary Radford Ruther, she writes, quote, it is easy for some to dismiss these apocalyptic visions as fanaticism of a dwindling and insignificant group. But this misunderstands the attraction of these visions as a way of coping with incomprehensible and seemingly unimaginable social chaos. For example, apocalyptic is the offspring of prophetic thought. As such, it is often carried messages of protest against the dominant systems of political and religious power. Classes of people silenced by these dominant institutions have been empowered to speak boldly against these systems. End quote. And so Ruther is pointing out that there is some value in apocalyptic texts, which includes providing powerful images to inspire resistance to systems of oppression and exploitation. However, these messages are not entirely wholesome. Ruther continues to write, quote, But this empowerment to prophetic protest has been fatally corrupted because, because of its dualist mode of thought. Us and them, as absolute good against absolute evil, God against Satan have been its hallmarks. 
This does not mean that there is no such thing as good and evil, but this distinction should be defined in a different way. Good and evil need to be seen as different kinds of relationships rather than different kinds of beings, end quote. In this, Bruther points out that apocalyptic thinking and its binary split between good and evil is more than a metaphor. Historically, many readers of the text have reified or like make real or concrete good and evil by prescribing their respective characteristics to nationalities, races, sexualities, and religions, and to use apocalyptic rhetoric to validate efforts to enact harm. So by saying this group of people is good and this group of people is bad, we're able to kind of predict the downfall or destruction of humanity. Yeah, absolutely. So we can see here, especially with Ruther's critique, that apocalyptic text and apocalyptic thinking um, can have real life consequences for readers of the text. So how do we... Um, as human readers with a tendency toward weaponizing text against people, how might we approach apocalyptic? One way, and I prefer this way, and I will always, <laughs> I will always like try, I, I'm always constantly trying to like reorient myself to this lens, even within my feminist and social justice ethic, and that is with humility erring on the side of compassion. And I've shared this quote from Maya Angelou on the podcast a couple of times before, um, just because it's so fantastic. But I really think that it is, again, a really great reminder here, too, as we navigate our way through apocalyptic text. Angelou says, quote, I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. If you can internalize the least portion of that, you'll never be able to say of an act, a criminal act, oh, I couldn't do that. No matter how heinous the crime, if a human being did it, you have to say, I have in me all the components that are in her or in him, and I intend to use my energies constructively as opposed to destructively, end quote. And I love this quote because it helps us recognize our human tendencies so that we can question how does apocalyptic rhetoric ignite them? How does apocalyptic text read to you, constructively or destructively? How will you use apocalyptic text, constructively or destructively? A huge part of social justice is abolition, which is the complete undoing of systemic oppression, which does require both destruction and construction. And so we want to keep this in mind that as we move through apocalyptic text, I really hope that we can put some checkpoints in place to ensure that we move through these sections with humility and compassion. So we hope that with these short thoughts and kind of really brief summaries of the last handful of books of the Hebrew Bible, that we are kind of able to help you navigate and maybe give you some touchstones to move through the text throughout the end of the year. But I think now we're very excited because we want to move to some more like reflective looking back on the year conversation. And so one of the things that we are able to do because we published the podcast is that we're able to look at like episode statistics to see what have been the most popular episodes for the whole year. And actually our three, like our top three most downloaded episodes from this year have been an episode titled The Two-in-One Tales, Tricksters, Trauma, and Transformation, which was about the book of Genesis chapters 37 through 50. This is where we talked about Tamar, Joseph, and Potiphar's wife, and also Aseneth. Our second most downloaded episode of the year was The Salty Women of Sodom about Genesis chapter 18 through 23. This was an episode about Lot's wife, Edith, and then Lot's daughters. This is no surprise to us. I thought, I think that while we were recording this episode, we were like, this is going to be big. Like this is an important episode. I remember that. And then our third most downloaded episode from the year is an episode titled, Whoops, We Ignored Women, Genesis chapter 28 through 36. And this episode was about um, women that seem to go unnamed or have been dismissed or forgotten in the text. Women like Rachel, Leah, Zilpa, Bilha, Rachel and Deborah's burial, and also Dina. And this is interesting. Well, something that I'm just recognizing right now is that our top three most downloaded episodes are also all from the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder too, if like, 
the longer the episodes stay out, if the statistics will change, because also these episodes from the book of Genesis have been out the longest and therefore up for the most amount of like listening time. Yeah, absolutely. And we see, we kind of see a similar trend, even as we like uh, broaden our criteria to like our honorable mentions, which are the next three episodes that um, were, you know, the next popularist. We have the episode about Hagar. Hagar, She Who Names God. We have the episode about Rebecca, Rediscovering Rebecca. But then uh, finally, we have the episode about Bathsheba. So we have Bathsheba and David with our very honored guest, Amber Richardson. So we do have a couple of episodes in there that were ranking higher than um, some of the preceding episodes. So yeah, I agree. You're probably right. The longer the episodes stay up, the uh, more listens they're probably going to get. And the listener, like the downloads should probably balance out over time. Um, but I also, I think that there's something to say too about particularly that first, you know, month and a half that we spent in Genesis. Mm-hmm. That was a really powerful book to walk our way through. Yeah. And there are a couple of reasons I think why. First is like, we love stories and Genesis for sure was a fantastic like narrative text to move through. And I think people really gravitate toward that like really storytelling narration way of working with the text. Mm -hmm. The second reason I think too is that a lot of these women that we read about in Genesis are like big, big deal figures, right? Like for example, Sarah, um, Abraham's wife or Sariah, we read about her (laughs) We read about her uh, in the Book of Mormon and in the Doctrine and Covenants. I don't. I'm. We haven't worked our way through the New Testament yet, but I won't be surprised to see her there. Um, we like see some of these characters scattered throughout our other books in the canon, and you know these are really foundational stories, especially for women who are reading the text. And a lot of them are right there in Genesis. So, yeah, I think, I mean, yes, I think it's the, uh, I think because we did those uh, stories and episodes first in the year, but I also think it's because the um, topics were really meaningful to a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's about right. And we also, on the flip side, we also have some like listener least favorite episodes. And these, like you're saying, these are not, even the like most recent episodes that we've recorded, it seems like the listener le- least favorite episodes was our episode about Job, our episodes, episodes, plural, about the book of Psalms and also the book of Isaiah. And so what do we think that this tells us? We recognize that human suffering is really, really hard to sit with. And especially this year, there has been so much violence and suffering in the Hebrew Bible. And I think the book of Job is an especially difficult one to grapple Mm -hmm. with. And then thinking about the book of Psalms and Isaiah, perhaps we're still like collectively intimidated by poetry. These are very poetic books. And I think they kind of stand in contrast to the books that have far more narrative arc. And I think with a narrative arc, it, it allows us kind of an easy entryway where with the book books of poetry, we're, we're kind of disoriented and, and it feels difficult to kind of grasp onto something meaningful at times. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are really, really well placed. I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised that the book of Job, what, it was actually the least downloaded episode of the entire year mm. and I'm like oh bummer that's my favorite I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's one of my like favorite stories so mm. I was a little bummed about that mostly because it was like my own personal favorite that I was really excited about but I think you're spot on about the human suffering and it's just so it's so difficult to sit with um people who are in pain That's exactly what the book of Job asks us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that same note, like what were some of your favorite stories that we covered this year? So uh, the book of Job, but then do any other books come to mind? Yeah. So I really, (laughs) 
I really loved the story of Samson and Delilah Mm -hmm. and the whole reinterpretation that we did around Delilah, especially using the lens of kink. I -hmm. thought that that was like so surprising and so exciting for me to like read through that interpretation. That was probably, I mean, there were lots of episodes that were my favorite, but that was one that I was like really pleasantly surprised by. I just like, I thought it was so fun and Mm -hmm. so, so new and so different from anything that we had ever done and anything that we've done since. Like that one stands out to me as like very unique. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I don't necessarily think that I have a favorite story, but just kind of a general comment about one of my favorite things that we've done this year is that I don't think we've really been afraid to let the text and our like contemporary world speak to each other. Like we spoke a lot, a lot about Mm -hmm. oppression. We spoke a lot about racism, homophobia, sexism, but we also talked directly about really um, potentially, like there were a lot of content and trigger warnings on the episodes because we talked about sexual assault, genocide, queer pain, but also queer joy. Like you said, we talked about the kink community. We also talked about sex work and abortion. And I know for sure, and we've talked about this, like (laughs) there is for sure during the first year of the podcast, we would not have had the confidence to speak about these topics so directly or so boldly as we have done this year. And I'm like really proud of us for doing that and really proud of our listeners for being willing to kind of work through those difficult topics that the text brings up. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it really like showcases our growth as mm-hmm. reader like as readers of the text. And not I'm not even speaking about just you and I, but I'm also speaking about our listeners as well. The ability to sit with the text and like you said, allow it to inform our lived experience as we're having it right this moment, right now, um, is really powerful, but also incredibly confronting, right? And so to need to sit with those issues both um, in our in our secular awareness, you know, like on social media and in the news and with our relationships outside of the text, but also in our sacred relationships, um, we recognize that it can sometimes be really overwhelming. So we're really proud of y'all for sticking with it and, you know, moving through the text really in alignment with what is coming up for us right now. So kind of on the trails of this thought, one of the questions that I have for you, Elise, is what do you feel like was the hardest episode, the most difficult episode for you to record this year? I think, okay, I'm recognizing that questions about like the best or the favorite or the hardest are like really difficult questions yeah. for me to answer. <laughs> so I don't know if there was a particularly difficult episode for me to record, but there were similar topics that we would have to talk about each week where we would end up being where we would end up saying to ourselves, okay, how do we address violence, destruction, sexual assault, and trauma again this week Mm -hmm. in some type of new way that brings something interesting and not repetitive to the table? And so I think for me, that that was one of the hardest challenges to, to navigate, not because like, yes, of course, the content is difficult, but I think that I felt like a greater responsibility to not only address these topics, but address them in a way that didn't feel like we were just rehashing things that we have said in previous episodes. Yeah, it's really like it did come to a point, I feel like, where we were like, gosh, how many times can we talk about this topic without saying basically over and over, like, this is wrong. Here are the statistics. Here's why we should care. And here it is in the text. Um, So, and I did feel like we bumped up against that a lot in um, Genesis, Genesis. Exodus, and Numbers, Mm -hmm. where it just felt like every week uh, there was sacrifice of women, murder of women. And then we're like, oh, geez, like what? I know. It's new. It was just like so, it was so much drinking through a fire hose that first, you know, couple of months there in the podcast. It was so, so much. Yeah. But I remember you kind of had a difficult episode to record earlier this year, right? Yeah. So when we sat down to record the um, Mrs. Noah episode, so the story of Noah and the Ark, um, I I don't know if it was just my emotional state that week or – well, I I do know. It was not my emotional state that week. The story was just – so difficult for me. Oh my gosh, I'm like tearing up. It was so difficult for me to sit with. I remember like 
reading um, from the text and reading some commentary and just really having to face the destruction and violence uh, that we read about. And um, I was just crying, like inconsolably crying. And I remember my husband coming downstairs and being like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just so sad about Mm -hmm. what I'm reading in the book. And um, I ended up going for a walk around my neighborhood and I was like crying the entire time. And I just remember that episode being really particularly difficult to... um, to sit with. And, but I think it was a really powerful episode. I'm really yeah. proud of the work that we did um, as we navigated that story. And I'm really thankful that uh, we had the support of really fantastic poets to kind mm-hmm. of help us move through uh, that episode. Um, but yeah, that one definitely sticks out as one of the really difficult uh, stories that we encountered this year. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things I was really surprised about this year is that there were lots of characters and especially prophets who experienced doubt. Mm -hmm. I think we saw this with Moses for sure. We saw this with Enoch. Like Enoch is the, is the prophet that's like, why, why have you chosen me, God? Like everyone hates me. I'm not a very good speaker. Like, why have you chosen me? I also think more recently we've seen this with the prophet Jonah But I was also surprised with lots of tricksters. Like this is a new theme that we hadn't seen in the past two years of the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants. So tricksters, um, seeing trickery and play coming out as like power moves or strategic moves to gain power, like with the story of Lot's daughters, with Tamar, the harlot, with the story of Rebecca, who like schemed to help her younger son get the birthright. I mean, th- those were really, really exciting stories. And I think that even reflects in the top most downloaded episode about tricksters at large. Yeah, for sure. Those are just like a couple of things to- that come to mind. But what about you? Were you surprised by things this year? And if so, what what stuck out to you? Yeah, I think the thing that was most surprising for me was I went into the Hebrew Bible really expecting to read about a violent and angry God. But what surprised me was most of the violence and anger was human, (laughs) like of human origin that was ascribed to God. God. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that 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 really challenged me actually this year because I had a preconceived notion that, oh my gosh, this is the type of God that I'm going to encounter in the text. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen sometimes, right? Like it's really hard to argue with the story of Lot's wife and, mm-hmm. and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as like a not angry God. Like yeah. it's really hard to read anything other than that um, in some of the stories for sure. But the overwhelming majority of stories that we've encountered this year have been violence and anger from other humans pointed at other people. Yeah. And with the um, justification that, like, well, God, see, right. obviously we had to do this because God was, God told me to do it. And you're like, really? I don't yeah. think that that's, I don't <laughs> think that's what happened. Exactly. And so it kind of felt like the text, like, you know, that saying like you point one finger, but three fingers are pointing back to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I really feel like the text kind of was like that for me this year in being able to say like, hey, I know you're pointing a finger at God, but look at all of the other overwhelming examples in the text of um, destruction and violence and oppression that are done by humans to other humans. So for me, that was the most surprising theme of the entire year. Yeah. I think something else that stood out to me is that we were able to encounter a lot of great midrash, this kind of like imaginative storytelling about characters, especially women in the Hebrew Bible. And this isn't something that we have large access to when we look at the Book of Mormon. And -hmm. I think we kind of like dappled dappled in it with the Doctrine and Covenants, but it's not midrash when we're reading like actual diary entries or like historical (laughs) accounts of women. So being able to have um, so many resources, that's something else that we were both excited for, but also intimidated by. There is, there are so many resources because so many smart, brilliant people have been studying the Hebrew Bible like way before we showed up, obviously. So we have a lot of access to other people's work and like other people's offerings, especially these imaginative kind of behind the scenes stories of the lives of women found in the text. 
Yeah, I, I guess I want to ask you, and maybe you can't answer this. I'm not going to ask you your favorite, but I am going to ask you, can you share one of the midrashes that you read this year that felt like impactful or important to you? Oh, geez. Um, well, I think that actually the midrash that you wrote about Lot's wife is really, really remarkable and definitely oh, left a big you. impression <laughs> on me and also our listeners. But I think with other women like um, Bilha and Zilpa, like mm-hmm. we have midrash about them. Um, we have midrash about like a queer interpretation of Ruth and Naomi. So we have these other external resources that kind of give more breadth and depth to the characters that I think found quite tender. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know also that one of the things that you and I both shared was the excitement when we got to the poetic books of the Hebrew Bible. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think because we, I think that we both see ourselves as poets and like people that appreciate beauty and aesthetics. And so I think we were really I'll speak for myself. I was really excited to come to these books of poetry because I thought they were going to be some of the most fruitful, but I also found them so challenging, (laughs) especially coming off the heels of so many rich stories. Like Mm -hmm. when you have complicated characters who have complicated relationships with family members and power structures and God, there's so much to pull from and there's so much to work through that then that they capture the narrative stories captured me in a way that the books of poetry didn't. And that's not to say that the poetry wasn't beautiful in and of itself, but that I found the barrier to entry far more high and difficult than reading a narrative. And I think maybe, I don't know, I think that's also a general challenge that people have with poetry and why lots of people like reading novels as opposed to like turning to to poems. And so yeah, (laughs) yeah, confronting to see that same challenge reflected back in me. I wonder if I wonder if it would be a powerful experiment to instead of reading the entire Hebrew Bible from cover to cover in a year, um, if someone were to spend just a year in the poetic books of the Bible, yeah. right? Like, yeah, because then you could already be oriented there, right? Exactly, and you wouldn't have to like Jump move in. from just like you said these like really rich stories into poetry, but you would already be in a poetry mindset. mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if the experience there would be a little bit different. And I wish we had time to explore that. I'm not sure that we will, but yeah, um, yeah I think you're right. Trying trying to shift and reorient yourself out of narrative into poetry um, can be really, really difficult for sure. Yeah. And what about some, what were some things that maybe disappointed you this year? So we talked about things we were surprised by, but what about disappointed by? Yeah. Oh, let's see. One of the things that really disappointed me this year, and maybe, you know, I do think it's unique to the Hebrew Bible. um, And it's kind of similar to what I had shared before, where I feel like so much of the violence is human oriented and like human created. Um, I actually had a really difficult time this year connecting to the divine and connecting to any type of deity um, in the text because I felt like I was always having to approach the text and ask, um, is this voice of human origin or is this voice of divine origin? And I mean, the answer is like always yes mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. Um, but for some reason, uh, this year has felt more particularly difficult because I think I I think after spending an entire year in the Doctrine and Covenants, where a lot of the voices of human origin, um, I was I was ready to like he I I was ready to hear the voice of God, um, and I had a really difficult time doing that this year. And I don't know if it was because of the text. I don't know if it was because of me and just where I'm at in my faith journey. Um, but that was one thing that I really, really struggled with this year because I just had so, so many like big emotions, anger, hurt, disappointment, um, but also like joy and excitement and, um, peace reading the text. So, I've just found it really difficult to like pinpoint or locate um, divinity in the Hebrew Bible this year. And I don't, I don't think that's a reflection on the text. I just think that that's um, yeah, a reflection of me and where I'm at in my journey that has been made um, very apparent uh, working through the Hebrew Bible this year. What about you? What disappointed you this year? Yeah, I think that's an honest answer. I think 
and we've talked about this before, like, I am disappointed at how fast the Come Follow Me manual moves. Oh, and my gosh. also, <laughs> like, how curated it is. It's very yeah. much – or it very much has an agenda, and it prompts people to read stories while looking for very specific things. And, like – Yeah. Right. This no, hang on. Like, remember yeah. remember in the story of uh, – oh, gosh. I can't remember which story it was. I think it was Abraham and Sarah where the Come Follow Me man was <laughs> like, like, the sanctity of marriage. marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, this? This is what you got out of it? Yeah. And I even remember, like, James and Derek from Beyond the Block were also like, what the heck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, reading the – you know, approaching the text and wanting to look for certain things isn't, like, an inherently bad thing because as feminist readers, we do the same thing. Like we approach the text with the feminist lens and we look for themes of oppression and liberation. But I'm disappointed in the Come Follow Me manual because, okay, not every week, but many weeks, it would take this like wildly rich or difficult Hebrew Bible story and emerge with themes. Yeah, just like you said, like the sanctity of marriage or like (laughs) keep the commandments and worship God. And it's not that these themes weren't in the text. Like, sure, they were there, but... To only look for these themes seems to me like a huge disappointment because you're watering down the text and that feels like a betrayal and it sends the message that you don't trust your congregation and you don't trust your readers to come to their like own conclusions because you're scared of what they might find if they push past these primary answers of like the scriptures are good and God is great and keep the commandments like we've been doing that sense primary and I don't want to do that anymore yeah it's almost like this really like trite treatment of the text right like okay we're gonna just like skim the surface Mm -hmm. uh and go like really broadly which I mean I think I can see like we we're doing the skim the surface and doing very broad (laughs) stuff for this episode but like to to curate such a path so that your readers end up at these the same conclusions for every story every year for your entire life feels really upsetting to me. <laughs> yeah, and I also too wanted to echo what you had said about the Come Follow Me manual moving so quickly. I really think that the Hebrew Bible gets the short end of the stick in the um <laughs> like LDS community for sure because I don't think we value it in the same way that we value the New Testament and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's kind of viewed at least in my experience, is kind of viewed as this like really archaic text and it's not really ours, right? Like we, like we as Mormons claim the Hebrew Bible as part of our canon, but it wasn't written. <laughs> it wasn't written by like a latter day prophet right. and it wasn't like written by Jesus. And so uh, it takes kind of a backseat to a lot of the other texts that are uh, a lot more celebrated in the community. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we did, um, kind of like we we like counted up all of the chapters in the Hebrew Bible and there are like 932 chapters in the Hebrew Bible and that is three times more than any of the other sacred texts including the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so to spend the same amount of year with triple the amount of content yeah. to cover, like <laughs> we like should so ridiculous. <laughs> right. Like we should at minimum be spending at least two years in the Hebrew Bible. Like mm-hmm. we could do exactly what we just said, like get through all the narrative stories in one year, then move to the poetic stories in one year. Um and like we would actually be doing the Hebrew Bible justice, but because we had to skip so many chapters. And that was also the other thing too, that like made me so mad, especially in the first, you know, half, the first half of the year, the stories that the manual chose to skip were often uh, the stories that mattered most to the feminist reader, mm. right? Like we skipped over, we skipped over stories about Rachel and Leah. We skipped over stories about um, Dina. We skipped over stories about Jephthah's daughter. We skipped over so many really important stories that were really confronting. Um, and I think that does, you know, the general audience a real disservice yeah. to not give them the opportunity to engage with these stories simply because we're moving through the text at a lightning speed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely I have some beef there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. As you can tell, as you can tell our right? listeners, we're very, we're very, you know, jazzed up about it. And um, maybe one day the church will ask us, Channing and Elise, to write a manual. Oh my God. But gosh, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt that they will ever do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Okay, I already know the answer to this question, but I have to ask it anyway because we get so nerdy about this. But what was your favorite resource <laughs> that we referenced this year? Listeners, what do you think that we will say? I Guess know, what right? we're going to say. Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, who is a genius, because yes. like honestly, all hail her work. And this podcast would not be able to do what it did this year without her work. All of her scholarship that she has and without her knowledge, like our interpretations would be far less meaningful and rich without her work. So um, for, I think for like the first half of the half of the podcast, we relied on her um, book that's titled womanist midrash. But then I think for the second year or the second half of the year, we turned a lot to her blog and see she posted, And she posts a lot of blog posts on her website, which is really fantastic because it's incredibly accessible. She has YouTube videos. She's thoughtful and witty, and she isn't afraid to put the scriptures into a contemporary context. And she like challenges both the scriptures and our world to speak to the systemic issues of racism and sexism and homophobia. So yeah, like I'm incredibly indebted to her. And I hope that if nothing else, listeners emerge from the podcast and buy her book. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and continually engage with her work. Like, yeah, her, I just agree. Like I thought of this question and I was like, I mean, I can think of like secondary references, (laughs) secondary resources that we've used, but none, literally none of them compare um, to Dr. Reverend Will Gaffney. I agree. I agree. Um, do you want to talk about maybe favorite characters from the Hebrew Bible? Do you have yes. any? Yes. I think, okay, so I think I've mentioned some of them. Um, I love Delilah and the whole, like, reinterpretation that we did of Delilah. I still am so attached to um, Dina's story from uh, Genesis, and that one still was, like, really powerful for Dina me. Dina and was, Shechem? Is that the yeah. story? Mm-hmm. And that was really powerful to, like, go back through and kind of, like, work with. Um, another story, let's see. I don't know. I really felt called this year to the women without names. Like, I felt so much like care and reverence for each of those stories as we encountered them, like the millions of women murdered in genocide and like the concubine in Judges 19 and the daughter of Jephthah. And I really, I really felt it was so important in each episode to offer a name for those women, especially if there was just like one or two women featured in the story to Mm -hmm. offer a name, um, And often the name was given by other uh, writers of Midrash, but to really focus in on those stories and like bring them to light, I found that I, that was, you know, where a lot of my focus was and not so much on the women who were named in the text. Yeah. I think you did a really good job of that. That was definitely an area that you felt called to. And I think that everyone benefited because of the work that you did. Yeah. Thank Um, you. Thank you. I want to hear yours though. Your favorites. If you can choose one. I don't. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't have top favorites, but I'm like really in love with the duos this year. There's something Mm -hmm. about I think it's probably a narrative strategy, but I think there's also something about reading stories with duos that kind of either challenge each other or reflect different traits of each other or are foils of each other or are in love with each other. Mm -hmm. So Rachel and Leah, this is a story where they were each competing for Jacob's love instead of like, I think the interpretation we offered is that what a shame it is that they couldn't fight against the system that was pitting them against each other. Yep. Yep. Um, Sarah and Hagar, where we talked about intersectionality and power relations. Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, where we both, at least, and at least I, I read Ruth and Naomi, Naomi as lesbian lovers. And then we read David and Jonathan as like queer soulmates. So lots of queer readings for these duos here. And then like Esther and Vashti. So I appreciated seeing how each of these duos showed up in the text. And I think that's something unique to the Hebrew Bible that we don't at least that I haven't noticed in previous texts that we've worked through this year. Yeah. You want to know what I also felt like really struck by in the episode about Ruth and Naomi? Hmm. I feel like you and I have grown in our 
interpretations too because in that episode I read the story differently yeah and I wasn't afraid to tell you (laughs) and I wasn't afraid to tell our listeners that I read the story differently Mm -hmm. and that was one episode where we actually didn't agree with each other and that is actually really rare um yeah usually we're kind of like yep yep that's awesome good we're on the same page right in the same step and um I was all I was really proud of um, us, you know, of our relationship and being able to like disagree with one another and read the story differently. But I was also really proud of myself too, for having the courage to say like, Hey, I, I actually see something different, but not to the point of saying like your interpretation is wrong wrong and mine is right. But I thought it was really, um, so beautiful to experience that difference in interpretation without having it mean something mm-hmm. about me or about you. It was just simply we read the story differently and both readings were incredibly powerful. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Cheers to us. Slash I know. Cheers to you. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay, maybe the last question we can end on is what is your biggest takeaway from the year? Which is a huge question, so take your time. That is a giant question. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from the year is the thing that I've kind of found myself saying over and over and over again is internalize, don't weaponize. Because I just keep coming across these stories where we kind of see the characters doing the opposite, right? Like weaponizing instead of internalizing. Um, And so I think um, both the characters and the stories that we read about in the text and the text itself really acts as a mirror. And so to be able to read the text for our own selves rather than turning it outward and pointing it at specific people is something that I really had to grapple with and is really humbling, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times like I will read the text and I will be able to say like, ooh, that sounds like somebody I know or like a system I know. And I think there's a difference between critiquing uh, individual people and critiquing systems. I think systems always deserve critique. Mm -hmm. Um, And like positions of power always deserve critique. But the ability to sit with the text and allow it to speak back to you, even when allowing it to do so is painful um, and like, brings a lot of awareness to things that maybe you feel like ashamed or guilty about is, um, at least for me, a really responsible and ethical way to encounter a text, especially a text with, um, so much violence in it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. Internalize, don't weaponize. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that's a nice kind of key chainable (laughs) say <laughs> right <laughs> like put on a sticker yeah, yeah I think I've got a few takeaways one is that God is complicated like God is so complicated and people are messy I think that the whole Hebrew Bible is messy um, systems are messy people are messy God is messy and so I think that I've been a really appreciative because I already felt like I had a general tolerance for the messy complicatedness of God, but the Hebrew Bible has allowed me to expand Mm -hmm. and have far more tolerance and understanding and honestly like appreciation for how messy it is to be human and how messy it is to try and figure out what it means to be in relationship with God and your community. Um, But it also seems like at least in the Hebrew Bible, there is this kind of general bend toward liberation and We really see God, at least I saw God, seeking after a true relationship with their people sometimes. But it's messy. Like, it's messy and it becomes violent. And I think that this year we were good at critiquing God. But I I like looking for the moments of liberation where God really comes through for their people. Yeah, I'm really attached to kind of the story that came uh, from In Between the Lines, at least for me, that really stuck out was this idea that like in the creation story, God kind of like started out as like God having no idea what they're doing. Like, yeah, I'm new to this whole God thing. Mm -hmm. Like I just created these humans and now they're like not doing what I asked them to do. But then like over the entire, just like you said, the entire arc of Genesis to from Genesis to Malachi, I really do actually think we see a growth and learning arc 
um, in God as well. Like, we don't see any more, like, giant floods or entire cities getting lit on fire. Mm -hmm. Um, We see a lot more, like, you know, Nineveh (laughs) got saved because they repented. And, like, there's continual calls to repentance. And they're... um, uh, is a lot more patience and a lot more grace and mercy extended. And so I also too have enjoyed kind of seeing that general arc of God, like learning patience and learning mercy and learning forgiveness um, over the entire text that I think we didn't see. We definitely didn't see in the Doctrine and Covenants. And I don't even think we saw in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And so I think that that was really unique to this text for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we did it. We made it all the way through the Hebrew Bible. I'm so <laughs> like so so proud of us. I am it was too. A big task. Yeah, and I think that we wanted to say as we wrap things up for the year 2022, obviously a huge huge thank you to all of our listeners. There's there's no way that we would be as dedicated to this podcast if it weren't for knowing that there are people who listen and who follow along and who care about the work and who participate in the work. Mm-hmm. Like and, and I think this leads us nicely, like a huge thank you to our patrons and anyone who has donated to us on Patreon or on our Venmo account throughout the year. It's really, it really, it's really this kind of moment of awe and appreciation that there are people out there who love and um, support our work, especially in monetary ways when we know it's not, when we know that monetary giving is kind of, can be difficult, especially during the holidays. Yes, we also want to say a huge, huge thank you to our transcription team, Heather, Sarah, and Mary. Literally, what would we do without you? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your hard work. They are the ones who make the transcripts possible, who get them up on our website um, so that everyone can read and engage with every episode. So thank you, Heather, Sarah, and Mary. You all are the dream team. And then for sure, as always, yes, our listeners, but also all of our followers, commenters, and everyone who's written us an email and really engaged with the content and importance of the stories and the things that we share. Everything that (laughs) we put here on the podcast comes from so much heart, so much care, so much passion, and knowing that there are people on the other side who are listening and engaging and care about the work in the same capacity is really heartening. And Um, yeah, absolutely just keeps us going. So thank you everyone for being here. Thank you for putting in the time and putting in the work and always, always, always for your kind messages, your words of encouragement. Those really have kept us going this year. We love you so, so much. We love you. We love you. Okay. We'll see you again in the new year in 2023 for the New Testament. Okay. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We know your time and space is sacred, and we are so grateful to have spent ours with you. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so happy if you left us a loving rating on iTunes and Spotify so other seekers can find us. Financial donations support the many hours of research, work, and devotion to each episode, as well as the everyday costs of creating and publishing the podcast. You can support us on Patreon or through a simple Venmo donation and help us create a world where creators, artists, activists, and beauty makers are valued and paid for their labor. Find us on those platforms and on Instagram as The Faithful Feminists. We are deeply grateful for your kindness and encouragement. We love you so much, and we hope to spend more time with you again soon. Bye, friends.